Welcome to the Product Power Up Podcast, where you'll learn how to take every aspect of your product business to the next level. From product design to product sales, crowdfunding to retail, operations to marketing, we talk about it all. Now, let's power up your business. Here are your hosts, Emerson Hammer and Russell Steed. Hey everyone, welcome to another Product Power Up podcast. Today we're really excited to have Judah on the, the podcast with us today. Uh, we're going to dive into some awesome, uh, this is going to be more of a storytelling episode, so I'm excited to get more into it and just learn more about Judah and his his growth of his business and um, where he's starting and where he's at today. So um, we'll just jump right into it. Judah, do you want to kind of give us a little bit of an intro to you, your company, and a little bit about your background? Okay, so a little bit about myself. I... I'm actually an 11th grade dropout. Um, I'm not you a... almost made it, man. 11th grade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not exactly an idiot, but um, <laughs> I was... I, I ended up in Israel for seven years um, studying the Jewish studies. Um, after that, I came... I moved to Jersey, and I was selling online, or I should say reselling electronics online. And that was my first foray into online selling. So was it seven um, years? Did you drop out of high school and then go to Jerusalem? Um, or were, did you drop out out there? Or kind of how did, how was, what was the timeline? of So that? the timeline was uh, I dropped out like towards the end of 11th grade. And I went directly to Israel. Oh, okay. And I thought I was going to be there for like a year. I ended up loving it over there and <laughs> ended up staying for seven more Gotcha. Okay. And that makes sense. And were you originally from Jersey and then you went out there and then came back? I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. And I met my wife in Jersey um, in 2011. And so we ended up moving back to Jersey. I actually lived with her for two years in Israel. Um, So that was part of the seven years. And we moved back to Jersey. in 2011, uh, 2013. And that's, I, I've been here since then. Gotcha. And that's when you really started getting into, like you mentioned the, the online realm. Correct. It, it was, at first it was kind of like a side project. And I realized, you know, I'm pretty good at this at reselling and finding things, finding deals to, to resell online. And I suddenly had a full-time job. Um, <laughs> So it was, it was great. I loved it. It was on my own time. Something I was good at. I was always, you know, tech savvy. Um, I understood computers well. I understood how to find deals and, and yeah, that's how I made, made some money and was able to support my family. Mm-hmm. Um, short, shortly after, after like a while, uh, being on the Amazon platform, which is where I started, I, I, I realized that I felt like there was going to be a shift in how the platform, who, who will be successful on the platform. And I felt there was going to be companies that were sourcing their own products and not reliant on reselling. Um, there was a lot of, you know, bigger brands that were cracking down and effectively knocking out smaller resellers um, with takedown notices and get, they were getting stuck in inventory. I also felt that it was very hard to scale, uh, the reselling, yeah, maybe able to make a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, but it was very hard to scale it, and you kind of constantly tread the, mm-hmm. you know, the operations to find new inventory. You're constantly a sucker for new inventory, so I found it very difficult personally. Some companies are able to do it, but it wasn't in my skill set. So was it so, was it like retail arbitrage, like where you were buying something cheaper and reselling on an Amazon, or was it like used items that you were selling on Amazon, or what was kind of the 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 main re- like what you found inventory and was amazon your main so, sales channel so it was actually a combination of things and it was actually a little bit of an interesting way of how i started originally uh, i was really good at uh, generating credit card points and using those <laughs> and selling them and all that and i realized wait a second if i buy from you know my credit card gives five times points at staples I can buy and resell at 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 break even, and I'm going to make like seven and a half percent 
On top of that, there was a cashback portal that gave another 10%. On top of that, there was Staples Awards that gave another 5%. So my break-even was 20-something percent. So my first deal was buying a bunch of iPod shuffles for 29 bucks. And actually, they didn't sell them for 30 bucks or 35 bucks. I sold them for 55 bucks. I'm like, wait a second. I don't, it's not just cashback. I'm actually making money. So that's, that's how it started. Wow. That's, that's, that's that's fascinating. I love that. That's a really, I've never heard of someone doing something like that. You were just like the rebate. You're the ultimate coupon shopper. It sounded like at that that point, just finding rebates and discounts and, and hustling. That's, that's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. I I definitely have my roots in that. That's definitely not scalable. It was easy (laughs) to do it in the beginning. But having those, having the the idea of how to build your own deal, was something that I was I was able to, you know, take to other items, finding items, how to get coupon codes, maybe use gift cards that you get at a discount. You know, cashback sites still were relevant, but you know, it was basically learning this how to find those opportunities in the market where the things were underpriced compared to we were able to sell it on Amazon. Um, Eventually, I actually started having friends of mine order for me and I would pay them, I would give them a check, you know, anything that was a good deal. (laughs) Uh, So that was, that was, it it was very time consuming, but that was my start and it it worked for a while. How long? So you said that you started to notice that there's probably going to be a shift on Amazon, which definitely happened. So how long were you doing that before you started to realize, man, I probably need to change my strategy? Um, I would say about a year into my selling. So I started selling in around 2014, um, seriously. And about a year in one of my friends that I was you know, in, like discuss, I'd like to discuss uh, miles and credit card miles and all the points with, he started telling me about how one of his friends took some speaker from China that he just slapped his name on it. And he was making 20,000 bucks a month. And I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what do you mean? You, you just, throw your name on it and you, yeah he's like yeah for sure i'm gonna do something also like that i said okay hold on a second it can't be that simple eventually <laughs> i found that it was pretty that that you know pretty much that simple it's definitely not that simple anymore but you know back then you just a private label slap your label on something you were able to do you know tremendous business on amazon That's yeah you know seven years ago seven years ago back in the olden days <laughs> yeah for all time flies um maybe just to go back a couple of steps maybe more for my personal interest you were like hustling these deal sites personal personal question i guess like what are these sites are they still up can i get access to these amazing deals because it sounds like you just like hustled it i feel like you need to have a playbook of like judah's hustle skills of finding discounts where you're just going like i use rakuten or rakuten or whatever i mean i just have that on my browser and that you get a couple bucks here and there on stuff um what, what sites were you using to find these these deals? Or were you just basically leveraging credit card sites or what was your main main hustle on that? Um, there were, I would say a bunch of sites, but the most famous site is Slick Deals. So they have people posting deals on there. Um, I was also uh, following dancedeals.com. It was another, mm-hmm. like also a forum where they kind of went into the nitty gritty of how to put things together. And I kind of learned, you have to, if you're able to learn how to do things on your own. The deal doesn't have to be posted. I, I was able to find my own deals and, mm-hmm. you know, leverage, Oh, this credit card and grocery stores would work and give you 5% back. You know, deal, deal posters won't necessarily post that. And a mm-hmm. deal for me was not necessarily a deal for the end consumer. If I can get an iPad at 5% off, I might've been able to sell it for 15% more, you know, for someone else, it might not have been a big deal, but for me selling it online, as long as I was able to make the markup, it was, it was a good deal. That's um, cool. there, were, there was also some other opportunities. I was able to find a website that I was able to drop ship from. Again, I was able to find all the codes to use in, on the website uh, to get free shipping. And I was just putting in orders, selling TVs, drop shipping TVs, like sometimes <laughs> like hundreds in a day. It was pretty wild, wow. uh, but it worked for a while until they, they banned me from the site and then I made a new accounts. <laughs> and then I, 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 they changed their, their site like four times at least just mm-hmm. to try to block me from placing orders. 
That's funny. That's awesome, dude. You're you're so freaking hustler. That's amazing. That's cool. Um, so okay, so now you get back to where you were. You're now kind of transitioning to um, to Amazon, seeing the potential. What was your first product you you launched on Amazon? Then not as this deal. What was a cert? Suddenly you started sourcing from China. What was your first like China source or overseas source or working with a factory that you had your own product on Amazon? How that? What was that? How'd that go? So I, in, in 2015 is when I launched my first product. In 2014, a year earlier, I had my, my first child, my son, Daniel. And there was a product that I wanted for myself. It didn't exist at the time. It was a cabinet locks that, you know, child safety cabinet locks that I can like hide on the inside of the cabinet, but that you didn't require any drilling. You can just stick them on. So that was always, that was an idea I had because I don't like to drill anything. I don't, I'm not <laughs> handy. You know, I might be a hustler. I don't, I'm not handy at all. So, <laughs> so it was a product that I, I wanted to create. And like a couple months after I had this idea of uh, making my own product, I looked on Amazon and it actually, just finally exists and someone just launched it. I'm like, let me make my own version. So I found a factory in China. Um, I made the product and by the time it got, got in stock at Amazon, there's maybe 50 people that had the same idea. I'm like, okay, maybe my ideas are not so unique after all. <laughs> but that was, you know, that was the first product. It was, it was a side project at the time. It wasn't my full focus. It was more of like, let's see if I can do it myself. There was so much to learn. And I think it was so much more difficult back then um, launching that product than what it takes for someone to do it nowadays. There's, there was no knowledge. There was nobody. There was to create a packaging. How do you create packaging? Fiverr and Upwork weren't popular. Anybody I spoke to had like their, if they were making their own products, I had this huge company and they had their own design team and photographer. I'm like, okay, so what do I do next? I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know the first thing about sourcing. Nowadays it's guides from, they'll hold your hand from A to Z. So that, that aspect, it definitely, it got tremendously easier. So how did you, um, how'd you find that out? Like, what did you, where were the resources? Did you just hustle it and just figure it out or like what did you find mentors or what um i just asked whoever i could in the wholesale world really to try to get whatever information i could some of it was just not that great information um but eventually other people started to you know take on uh you know to do similar projects where they were going to start sourcing products for amazon and I created a networking group on WhatsApp where everyone basically shares information with each other. And that was something that helped us, you know, share resources and we've all gotten much, much better at it. Well, that's awesome. So you, that, the cabinet um, product, you said that there were 50 others by the time you got on there. Was that like, did you still make money with that one? Was that kind of what launched you into where you're at now? Did you quickly go to other products or how did that specific product fare on Amazon? So that product actually did pretty well. Um, it, I didn't restock it on time, but then the next pro, you know, the next time I got it restocked and it did well again, it did well for, and we're still actually selling it. Not one of our top products right now, but it still sells. Um, and later on, when I brought in a partner to do this full time, that product was basically supporting the whole business yeah. and allowed us to launch you know, six other products. So it, it, it definitely was successful, you know, yeah. and helped us out a lot. Did you, so I don't know if we mentioned this, but your, your brand is jewelbaby.com, right? That's your website. Um, and you know, same brand that you sell on Amazon, correct? Correct. Yes. So was that the brand that you came up with back then? Like, did you just kind of decide on the name and you went with it or is the, is jewel baby more of like a more recent brand um, that, that you came out with? So jewel baby was the original name uh, from the start. Uh, had did change it to like jewel baby products for like trademark purposes. And now going back down to going back to jewel baby and it's always just been a lot easier and then, on the tongue to just say jewel baby instead of jewel baby products mm -hmm. behind the name 
where did the name Jewel come from? Some people ask, oh, so like the Jewel e-cigarette? I'm like, definitely not. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like, un, I don't know if called unfortunate coincidence, but the same year that we launched Jewel Baby, it was 2015, which is the same year as the Jewel e-cigarette. I definitely, who would name a baby company after an e-cigarette? Anyway, so. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound right. An addict, exactly. for sure. <laughs> exactly. So part of it was I wanted a short, easy to remember, easy to spell, meaningless name that just, you know, I like that it was also like symmetrical when the J and the L and you put them side by side, it can, look, it can, it can be symmetrical, J-O-O-L. Um, and it was because it was unique also that it's easy to Google and, and find us. So all those things together, one of the name, one of the brands I would say you got a little inspiration from was Boone. They make high chairs and other baby accessories and the name kind of means nothing. It does mean something, but not really. Nobody really, uh, it doesn't really mean anything. It's short, simple, and mm-hmm. who cares? At the end of the day, the name doesn't really, it, it just shouldn't be a bad name. But yeah, <laughs> you know, like McDonald's doesn't mean anything. It's just the name. Yeah. So. And it's the, it's the, what the brand builds behind the name, the meaning that comes behind the yeah. name that really matters. Exactly. So, okay. So you launched that one product. You said that you then brought on a, a partner when you decided to go full-time, what were you doing? Was this, did you have like have a, a nine to five, a full-time job at the same time? Or were you kind of doing just that, uh, the hustling, you know, buying product? Is that, was that your other job so i was i was selling i was reselling product on on amazon i was also working with this jewelry costume jewelry brand and i basically managed and so i was buying wholesale from them i had all the listings on amazon i had the brand registry i was kind of managing the brand for them um and yeah that was pretty successful and the last thing was the jewel baby, which was on the side as like a side project. I'm like, if I'm doing it for somebody else with their costume jewelry, I should be doing it for myself. I already had the skills and the knowledge of what it took to sell, sell your own brand name item on, on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, okay. That, that makes sense. I was just curious if it was like a nine to five full side hustle or kind of how that all structured. So you're, you're selling this, uh, this cabinet item or this cabinet lock, and then you bring on a partner. And then from there, did you just start cranking out new products or like, what was the journey after that point? So actually in between those two things, between that first product and bringing a partner, I actually had a, a second product that was very successful, very, very short time. And then it ultimately completely flopped. And that was a baby heartbeat Doppler, basically a fetal Doppler. And that was, you, you were able to monitor the heartbeat of, of a baby from within the mother's stomach. And it worked really well. And I was selling within like two weeks, I was selling like 50 a day or something. I was making a lot of money and I was expecting to sell like 150 a day, like making a, a killing. I mean, I was making, uh, I would be making thousands of dollars a day. And then three weeks in, you know, ranked extremely fast. Next, I got dog paged. Amazon deleted the listing. I'm like, what is going on? I didn't do anything wrong. I found out later on after reinstating the listing a bunch of times and getting it deleted again, that it's actually one of the items that Amazon specifically prohibits from selling how some other sellers were selling it. I have no idea, but it was literally just prohibited and I wasn't able to sell it. So that was the end of that. Oh, that's nuts. So were you stuck with all this inventory of those dollars then, or what'd you do? What'd you end up doing with those? So I ended up, uh, I, I sold basically everything I had in stock, pretty much everything. The problem is it was selling so fast that I already placed the reorder and I got stuck with my deposit, 30% deposit. I had to uh, forfeit that factory, just basically reworked them and sold them to other companies. But mm-hmm. that, that was gone. That was a big hit. Oh, that's rough. That is so rough. Yeah. That's, so was that ever something that you came up before or came across before knowing that like Amazon didn't allow certain products on their platform? Or was that like the first time you realized that you probably need to look into that before you develop your next product? I know. I definitely knew there was a product you weren't able to sell on Amazon. I was very familiar. 
And this one was one of those things that was kind of buried like really deep into one of their pages. I, I couldn't believe that was actually um, prohibited. And like, if you look on that page, it actually names specific, like, you can't sell this wine decanter, like this brand name wine, like the very specific things that they point out on that page. It, it, it was very limited list that I don't think anybody was really aware of. Um, Interesting. So I got hit by that, but you know, you live and you learn. Yeah, definitely. So that happens, you bring on a partner and then did you, yeah, I'm, I'm sure at that point you did a lot more research, making sure that the product that you were buying or that you were sourcing actually could be sold on Amazon. What was kind of the, the journey from that point with, with your partner? So my partner joined in uh, the early 2017. Officially, we became Jewel Products in, in Jewel Products LLC in April 2017. So this is our 50th anniversary. And we... Together, we wanted to develop a child safety line that we thought would work well on Amazon and in retail stores. Um, we walked around all the retail stores and looked at what they had to offer, and we thought that we had better product. So we that's what we started with. We started six products until we got them in. It was about late August, um, early September, and we thought... You know, we had like about three products that were meant for Amazon and three products that we thought were only going to do well in retail that were too cheap for Amazon, we thought. We ended up putting all six of them on Amazon and they all became, you know, really good sellers. I would say two of the items that, that were not meant to be for Amazon actually ended up being two of our top sellers and top 100 sellers in the baby category for the next awesome. few years. So when you say a safety line, what is that? What, what's a child's safety line entail? Like the safety locks or something like that? Or, or what does that entail? So it was household safety items. We had outlet covers, doorknob covers, mm -hmm. strap locks, uh, another cabinet lock, and uh, door pinch guards. Uh, what, was, what else was there? Maybe a corner guard. Mm -hmm. uh, I think those are original products. Yeah. What I love about this is that it's like, they're very simple. They're, they're simple products that most people don't think like wake up and think, Hey, I need to develop this, this product, but it's definitely like an essential thing. I just, I have a newborn. Well, I guess he's like 15 months now. So he's more than a newborn. Um, but he's definitely like getting to like, Oh, he wants to play with all the sockets. He wants to do all this the stuff. He's getting to all the cabinets, the pots and pans are always on the floor. Um, you can always tell where he's been. It's just a tornado everywhere. Um, but like, even as a parent, even as an entrepreneur myself, I don't think like, Hey, I need to develop a lock, but how like essential that is and how that's been like a whole business is I think it's so fascinating to think of like how simple, not simple, but product or a process that you can make a business off that's so scalable. So that's awesome that you saw originally your original way of going about business of being a reseller of just buying and hustling deals wasn't scalable. And then you found something so simple of a, of a category of these little safety, um, child safety products and just have been able to kill it going down that simple, simple path. So I, I think that's just awesome to think of like as an entrepreneur, it can be something very simple and you're solving a problem. And it seems like the products you created, you found a pain point in that market and we're able to scale it from there. So that's what I think is so awesome about business and being entrepreneurs. It can really be anything in any category, any product that you can just definitely like uh, niche down in and just be successful in any type of industry. If you do it right, which sounds like you've, been able to kill it in this baby category. So congrats on that. That's awesome. So I'm kind of curious. Um, a lot of our listeners, they've either, you know, maybe they have their own old, quite a few products or they're kind of getting into the product uh, world. They maybe have one product on Amazon or on their website and they're trying to scale from there. So I want to kind of dive in. How did you guys decide or which, how did you decide which products you made? Because I'd imagine all of those products already existed. So how are you going to go in and say like, Hey, we're going to make this, 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 and this, and we're going to be able to sell it on Amazon and we're going to sell it into, into wholesale. So we'll get into retail in just a second. I got more questions there, but I'm kind of curious, what was the determination? What was the design process on which products you picked for which categories? And, um, why, why did you pick those ones? And uh, did you innovate on them in any certain way? Or did you just kind of say like, Hey, we're doing corner guards and we're putting our logo on it and ready, set, go. So. Are you asking initially or. 
Yeah. So the, yeah. The, well, I guess initially, yeah, back then. And then now maybe, maybe you give us a little insight into like how you, that's changed today. Initially we were trying to uh, corner the safety market, be focused completely in safety. And we launched a bunch of products in that category. Um, did you, did you change the way they were made or did you just find like products that were already made, already designed, and you just kind of put your logo on them? So initially we started with, with just basically putting our name on it. Um, we did tests like, you know, make sure let's say something had an adhesive to make sure that the adhesive was to our standard. But shortly after we had success, we knew that the success won't last by just staying, you know, with items that are too simple and not, not innovative enough. Mm-hmm. Um, we started working on a, a door lever lock and that was an extremely successful item for us. And it was, it took us a really long time to, to design it and to work with the factory to, we create, created a proprietary, you know, structure and mechanism and we patented it and that was extremely successful. So that was our first, our first foray into like creating something completely unique that didn't exist before. And, and that was our, our strategy going forward that we should, you know, really create something for ourselves, something unique. It doesn't even matter if it's something that exists on the market, but it should have our touch. Yeah. I like, I like seeing that, that perspective because so for example, the first business that I started back in college, we did a Kickstarter campaign. It was, it was called litho hammocks. We, we kind of created this new like suspension system and, you know, we bought sewing machines we did it in our, in my parents' garage. And, you know, we, we tried to, you know, do these printed hammocks. And at the time it was kind of like at the beginning of a, a, a trend with hammocks. And so we did really well, sold a ton on, you know, had a great Kickstarter and then rolled it over to our website and it was a successful product, but it was just so much work because we tried to make it like so innovative and we dumped way too much money into it off of the bat. And we just didn't get like, we didn't build that audience first. We didn't build like the, 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 the business chops up front, kind of like what you were saying that like you already knew how to sell on Amazon. You already knew a lot of like how to do it. And then you started bringing in your own products. But I love the way you went about it because you kind of went at it and the very like true hustler way where you're like, Hey, you were just selling other people's products and then, okay, now you get other products that are already made, but you put your brand on it. But then now, Hey, you made it to there and you recognize that's not going to, that's not sustainable. And then I'm going to go to the next level and I'm going to make like a, a super innovative product. And you've already got that strong base of customers or really good reputation with Amazon, a lot of, you know, business chops and, re- you know, you know what to do to be able to sell your product. So you didn't take that initial, I'm going to, I'm going to sign a hundred thousand dollar PO on day one, because that's, that's risky. And I think a lot of people make that mistake of like, in order to sell a product it has to be super innovative and it, uh, I have to spend a hundred thousand dollars right off the bat. And then they get it on Amazon and they don't know how to sell it. And then they're in, they're in big trouble. So I think it's smart the way you went about it. I love seeing that kind of like hustler trajectory to get to where you're at now. I remember my first uh, PO paying a, a supplier in Alibaba. It was like, I think five grand. I was like shivering. I, you know, am I doing this right? I got to send a wire, you know, no credit card. What am I doing? Uh-huh. I, I, you know, what's going to happen? You know, I mean, at the, right now I'll say, okay, the worst case scenario, you lost five grand. But, um, <laughs> you know, I was always, I was always taking precautions like that and learning what the risks might be. And, mm-hmm. So that's the way we did it. Um, I didn't get screwed on that on that first order, and maybe I can say once we got screwed, but we always did a test order with any factory, just you know, just to make sure that we won't get screwed more than a certain amount. Mm-hmm. That's always the nerve wracking thing. Working with a new partner and be like, fingers crossed, man. I mean, there's there's a lot of ways you can protect about that. We'll probably go in that in different uh, podcast of sourcing through Alibaba and, and factories, but. Um, yeah, there's a lot of horror stories, but there's also a lot of obviously good stories that come out of it. So as long as you know how to source, what to look for, um, you can definitely mitigate some of that some of that risk. Um, and I think going back to what Russ you were you were talking about about scaling your business, um, there's definitely I think um, the E Myth was it E Myth Revisited is uh, is the book or maybe it's E Myth is the first book Revisited is the second one. Um, I think that's a huge one in the startup owner's manual are two books that I think are amazing to go through when you're starting a business of creating your MVP, your minimum viable product. I think in this way, you did it in your own way of how you scaled it of 
a risk endorsement um, of not just going. I, I think a lot of times you think it has to be this huge, big, grandiose um, reveal of your product. And a lot of people um, want to wait until it's this big, it's all finished, all the, the corners are refined and it's a perfect polished product. Um, but really it's, Russ, you have that quote, I can't remember who says it, or I'm gonna probably gonna botch it, but basically uh, if you're not embarrassed of your product, you you waited too long to, to release it. What's that quote? Yeah, How, I mean, you essentially quote? got it. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Nailed it. Okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, it's more eloquent, but yeah, you basically got it. Yeah, nailed it. I don't remember who says it, but someone said it. Um, it's not saying, hey, we're releasing crappy product. It's just saying like, hey, you're, you're, you're still refining that process. Like, I mean, you look at Tesla, for example, or any of these big companies, I mean, the Tesla they launched in 2012 is nothing like what's at today. And I'm sure when they first launched the first Tesla, they had bigger aspirations for it to where it probably is like right now, but they had to get there. They had to get user feedback. They had to get insights um, into seeing what that was going to be like to where it's at today. Uh, so I think um, uh, just kind of like uh, maybe a reminder to entrepreneurs is we're not saying launch crappy stuff. That's not what we're saying. But we are saying is like, Hey, you're going to have revisions to it. There, there's a process or steps you're going to take. So, like you took, you're selling someone else's product. That's step one. I'm sure you have bigger aspirations than you went into basically white labeling products. And now you're have your own in-house development team, if I understand right. Um, so maybe kind of get us to where you're at today. You've kind of went through those phases. Now today, where's, where's, your, where's your company at right now? What does it look like um, currently? So shortly after we um, launched a, a potty, um, and that was really successful. We launched more potties. And eventually got it, you know, we realized we can impact, you know, the baby market um, with, with other products that we wanted to create. So we got into baby gear. We have uh, a baby swing, the Nova. We have changing pads. We have baby wipe warmers um, and some other items, actually many other items under development within other categories. So on the... Um on the retail side. So you mentioned, so you, you, you went into Amazon, you got, you had the Amazon chops, you knew how to sell stuff on Amazon. And that's from what I understand, the bread and butter of your, your business up until this point, not necessarily to the future, but you've also gotten into some major retailers. So maybe tell us a little bit about that, that strategy shift and how you got into those retailers, what the, what the strategy was there and where you see that going in the future. Our goal was always to sell to retailers, but we realized shortly after we launched on Amazon that our full focus had to be on Amazon. It was selling so fast and growing so fast. And honestly, we really didn't even know enough about selling wholesale that we weren't able to focus on that for a while. So we, we just literally put it, pushed it aside for about two and a half years until we were able to grow our team and, and have more time to dedicate to, to trying to figure out retail. We started off with a with a trade show. ECRM is actually extremely effective. We won uh, best product award over there for our folding potty that we innovated. So that was um, definitely you know a big achievement for us. Our first trade show ever. We beat out I don't know 120 companies or so in the baby space with our product, and we we landed our first retailer from there, and that was Burlington. Ross stores saw our product in Burlington and they emailed us. So we got two stores from there. Um, shortly after we got in touch with a, a rep group for, for target and they got us in, that was actually a really long process, but they got us into target online where target buys our products and, and offers it online. They shipped to the customer. And after two years of doing that, we were able to get one of our products, again, the folding body into target stores, uh, last month, March. That's awesome. So it was kind of, I guess, a little bit more of an organic growth on the, uh, on the retail side. You didn't necessarily hire any consultants or really know what you were doing. You just figured, okay, this is something that now we have the bandwidth to go after. Let's, let's do it. And it kind of slowly transitioned into, and if correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you're, that's a big focus for you guys in the in moving forward, right? It, it is a big focus for us. Um, it wasn't accidental. We, we purposely did try to move slow. So we did want to sell to like a, we didn't want to sell to target right away. We wouldn't have been able to handle it. Like mm -hmm. 
we probably would have got hit with like a million chargebacks because we don't know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> but in Burlington, I actually spoke to a bunch of wholesalers and gotten people that have their own brands. And okay, what are the easiest stores to work with? And we worked that way and we targeted them because we know that, yeah, we screw up. It won't be such a big, won't be such a big deal. So Burlington, Ross, and you know, a lot of like the closeout uh, retailers, those were known to be the easiest to work with, easiest to label, compliant, everything. So that was our target and we took it slow and worked out with Burlington. Okay, let's go, you know, for the next retailer. One of the advantages of, of being very strong on Amazon and online was that we never had to chase after anybody. We didn't have product just sitting in our warehouse with nobody to take it. So and it, when, uh, let's say Burlington or another store said, oh, we want this product at this price, like, or we want you to make this product for us. No, it, it didn't fit our brand at, to sell it at that price point. We're not doing it. I'll see you later. And we have someone else will buy it online for full price. Um, that was, you know, one of the biggest advantage that that we have as a online native company. Mm-hmm. Then our development never was was never stopped because we didn't have a retail customer to to purchase it. Interesting. So it sounds like you guys were super intentional on the way you you went about your wholesale and very realistic about how you wanted to enter that realm. Because I've heard of brands where they go in and like, hey, we're going after Target, we're going after you know Walmart, we're going after Nordstrom. They they go and they get that big PO from Nordstrom and it just tanks them, or you know Walmart just destroys them because they just can't handle. They don't have enough experience to handle it. So they have these grandiose ideas. They think, Hey, this, you know, we're on Amazon or no, no, we're not on Amazon. We're on Walmart or we're, you know, we're at target. And then it just kind of really doesn't turn out to be a good experience for them. So you guys are very smart and very strategic in the way you went about it. Well, it sounds like you guys also go, you have calculated risks. Like you said, with um, when you place a PO with a new vendor, you guys say, Hey, this is kind of like, we're willing to risk a small PO with a vendor at first to, to make this purchase order. Um, and it sounds like you did the same thing on your wholesale side of like, Hey, we're going to start with this one vendor, see how it goes. Um, Cause there, I think a lot of people don't understand how much time effort and cost that goes into working with a wholesaler or with a retailer. And you'll see it a lot on shark tank, for example, where someone would come to the sharks, they pitch, Hey, I need to raise a hundred thousand dollars because I have this PO with Walmart. And I've seen it multiple times where the sharks are like, you don't need to be in Walmart. That's not the way to go. Um, Cause why they might be placing a million dollar PO, there's a lot that can happen. Like you said, with chargebacks, there's a lot of fees that go with a lot of overhead that sometimes it's because you have that, that name of that big box retailer behind your brand that, that may hurt your brand in the, in the long run. So I think you guys are smart to, to scale that. I think that's com- what I'm taking from this conversation is you guys are great at, at scaling and incremental um, paces and not biting off more than you can chew. And I think that's probably, I would assume that's kind of a, a, probably a big tool you guys use to help fuel your growth and keep it manageable um, and keep it enjoyable. I assume at the same time that you're, you're working at a good comfortable pace, you're growing, you're not stagnant, but you're not just biting off more than you can choose. So I think that's a, a great strategy you guys are, are deploying as well. Um, but as you kind of talked about, oh yeah, go for it. Absolutely. I, I want to mention one thing, not just the risks that I mentioned of chargebacks and not, if you're going to sell to Walmart and you're going to, you're going to mess up that order, good luck with getting an order anytime soon again. Yeah. So, that was definitely in our minds. We want to be able to get it right. We needed to learn all the different terminology, all the different uh, processes involved in retail. And, you know, pretty much all retailers are operating the same way, you know, routing and POs and ASNs. And and, and it's just a matter of how, how the particular processes. But once we got the, the lingo down and, and the onboarding set up, we were able to figure out, you know, the, the, the more difficult ones. <clears throat> so a question on that, you have, so you sell on Amazon. Amazon obviously has, um, for you to win the buy box, you have to have your product at a certain price um, to win the buy box price on that. When you're selling to retailers, I'm assuming they also have their map pricing that you're dealing with. Um, do you, do you use any strategies to either get around map pricing? Are you using different SKUs or something like that in Amazon versus with the retail, um, or are you offering the same exact products across the board on all channels, or is there different strategies you're using on Amazon versus with your retail side of business? Everything has to be strategic. With Amazon, 
uh, our blessing is that we're not cheap. So if we go to retail, it's not like it. the problem is that retail usually wants to be cheaper than Amazon. If you're selling a ten dollar item on Amazon, you know might be able to sell it for five dollars in retail and mm-hmm. make the same amount of money. Um, so we, we can always push them the retailers to have a higher price, and they always like that. They mm-hmm. just hate it when online is cheaper. Mm-hmm. But we have we have had conversations with with you know retailers, and you do have to def, you know make sure that prices are consistent for an item throughout the different channels you have online. And in retail, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't eat from whatever. I don't know. There's a line of that. You can't eat from every something, but, um, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta be very clear who you want to target with this product. If there's a price point that it has to be at in order to be in target, you can't go and sell it to Walmart for $5 cheaper. It's Mm -hmm. gotta be in Walmart for the same price. So don't sell it to Walmart and you can't sell it online for cheaper. You can differentiate it by making something unique about this target version and making a lower line version, but you have to make sure that fits within your brand. So it's definitely something that comes up in a lot of conversations. Everything's got to be strategic. Does this fit our brand? Um, can we make a, 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 you know, a differentiation that will, will not hurt us. And you have to think about what, what that can, what that can be. Um, with the clothing company, they might say, okay, we might make a, you know, make a, a wool version, a leather version, or, you know, a cotton version. And, and those wool might be a different price point where they might be do, doing a different pattern. And so with, with baby products, you don't really have so much uh, of that, you know, just upscaling the, the materials to, to make it more expensive. So you have to find ways that maybe you can make a, a two pack into a four pack. Mm-hmm. It's a different item, different price points. Walmart will want it four for 10 and target two for six. Both yep. work fine. Yeah, exactly. I think that what you said right there about the different bundle size, I think that's uh, a key strategy for if you if you're running an online store and you're working retail is I would probably depend on your product and your niche and understanding your industry. I'd say that's common and a good strategy is uh, make a unique offering for the different marketplaces you're selling, so you can deal with the, that map pricing um, and making sure each target demographic you're targeting gets a great value add for that demographic. Um, so you might either do a different bundle on Walmart than you would at Target or whatever, or different retailers. I think that's a, a great way to get around map pricing and making sure you're targeting your product in that certain way um, to each demographic. Um, your business, how it stands right now, what, what percentage is wholesale? What, what percentage, percentage is Amazon? How much on your own website? Like just kind of kind of put it in perspective for people. If you don't mind sharing. I would say Amazon as of today is probably 80% of our business mm-hmm. and then retail is probably 15% and the rest is like 5% of other websites mm-hmm. that is rapidly changing in the direction of retail, taking up a bigger chunk mm-hmm. while still keeping the, the, the online uh, at least the same. So do you, do you have goals on like, Hey, you want to be 50, 50, you know, Amazon retail, or do, do you have any numbers that you're shooting towards? I definitely would like a, a, a better balance between not certain necessarily Amazon, but let's say yeah. online to retail. Yeah. I think Amazon would be a big chunk of that, probably 40%. But if we can get um, other sites like Bye Bye Baby and Target to, to take up a, a nice chunk, 10% Walmart.com um, as well. So I think we could do a 50-50 between online and retail. I, I, I think especially in our industry, there is a lot of, of sales that only take place online pretty much. Mm-hmm. So we want to, we want a healthy balance both. Yeah. Yeah. So to, to wrap it up before, you know, we. Um, it's breaking up. I don't hear you. Russ, you muted yourself. Oh, okay. I don't know how that happened. Sorry. <laughs> um, let's see. So the, um, we could talk for a really long time about, um, everything in your experience and all the, all the things that you've done. Um, just to wrap it up, since you have so much experience on Amazon, what would be your favorite Amazon seller hack? If you could give it to us in 30 to seconds to a minute, like what would, what would be kind of that, that hack? Best Amazon selling hack I would say is very simple. It's request the review automation, which is Amazon introduced 
customer customer readings about a year and a half ago or so. And what that did was it tremendously, um, uh, what's it called? It, it tremendously increased the amount of readings, not just reviews that were uh, left on a product page. So previously where you would have, you would have to have someone write out a full review in order to get that star rating on there. Now a customer will get an email and we'll just click uh, four stars, five stars, one star, and Amazon take that rating into account. Um, what have I, what I found is if you use a software that will automatically request the rating from a customer where Amazon sends out the email to the customer that increases the ratings by like 10 to 15 times. And <laughs> not enough people are doing it. It's, it's tremendous how much it helps. I think Amazon hit a home run with it, but I think more sellers have to take advantage of it. Not just, uh, you know, there's Chrome extensions where you can click every day and go through the orders, a hundred orders at a time and seeing if it's eligible for, you can click on, you have Jungle Scout and Helium 10. Uh, there's a, a million softwares that offer it fully automated where you just turn it on. And then from then on, every order that's eligible to request the rating gets an, gets an email sent to a customer to request the rating unless they're opting out from marketing uh, communications. But yeah, that's the number one way to get reviews. Um, especially in my belief, everyone should be doing it ethically. No giveaways, no hacks, no, you know, I know it's a question about hacks, but no, not nothing unethical. <laughs> no, ethical <laughs> hacking. Yeah, ethical. <laughs> this is just a legit, like, above board hack. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I mean, reviews are so important on Amazon. I buy when I see that there are lots of reviews, kind of that social proof, and it's got a high rating, like ready, set, go. I know there's a lot of spamming and a lot of things that you got to keep in mind, but I, I, I think that's a great hack. That's awesome. One product that we have had a thousand reviews, like, per year. And, and once we had this, automatic review request it's getting about like fifteen thousand a year so oh, wow. it's, it's really really effective that's amazing, that's amazing. That's it's it's actually the number one uh way for amazon to combat um unethical uh ratings you know used to be able to just give away 100 units get 100 reviews and that was considered a lot nowadays mm -hmm. if your product is selling a lot you're going to get a lot of bad ratings mm -hmm. um that's A and B, but the honest sellers are able to keep up. So you're able to get, you're able to combat that and get a hundred real reviews and real ratings very easily. So by making the bar much lower to get ratings and reviews on a product, it, it really rewards honest and good companies that are, that are creating good products. That's great. Would you, I think we got over a lot of, a lot of stuff today. I think it's been, there's been so many nuggets we could go down a million different ways um, through this. There's a lot of experience that you have on here, um, but we'll get wrapping it up here. We, we end our show with uh, our three final questions. Um, so the first one we have is if you had to start a product-based business today, what would it be and why? So it could be in the same. So I guess you have your next product you might launch in your own business that you're thinking of doing, or if you had to start over completely in a whole different category, um, what do you think it would be and why? Probably be something on the higher end. Um, I would like it to be a hundred to $200. Uh, it might be sports equipment. Mm -hmm. Um, the reason being that I, I have the experience to, to create products in that, in that product, in that price range. Um, I understand the risks involved, but also in order to sell online nowadays, on, especially on Amazon costs a lot, a lot for advertising and, you need to have the, you know, the dollar margins to, to work with the, you're not completely, you know, not making any money mm -hmm. with lower dollar amounts. You can, it can really be expensive to, to sell your product. So if you, if you're dealing with a $150 item and your margins are 75 bucks, you can spend $30 for marketing and you'll still, you'll still come out ahead mm -hmm. on a $10 or $20 item. You might have to spend five bucks, which is not expensive but you're not really left with much afterward. I think it's funny. I think we talked about this last time, our last episode, when we asked this question, I think like 90, 95% of the time, business owners would say, they won't give me the exact product. They'll give me a, a criteria they would look for. So I think that's very interesting. I think that's really, I think as a 
pre-entrepreneur starting out, you think of this product you have. I love how I think as you go down the journey of entrepreneurship and, and business, you then have criteria that you want a product to fit into. So I think that, that's, I think it's just an interesting trend to spot out. Um, as we ask that question, that's, it's very common for people to give us criteria over an exact product. So I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Don't get married to the product. <laughs> get married to the criteria. Huh? I, think, I think that's awesome. You have your process. I think it kind of is a testament. You have your processes and procedures, you know, what to, what to look for in that. So you're able to identify, um, those areas that you can be successful at winners from losers kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so what's the best piece of advice that you can give someone who's, who's starting a business right now? You've got a lot of experience. You've, you've hustled for a lot of years and you're, you're, you've been very successful in your, in your uh, ventures. So what, what, what's the best piece of advice you can give to somebody for an Amazon business or for any business? Um, your choice. Yeah. It could be either way. I would say, uh, learn what it means to be, to be a business owner. And this is going back to what you said about E-Myth. That's one of my favorite books as well. Learning what it means to be a, a business owner versus someone that's working for the business or in the business. These things cannot be underestimated. It's the only way you can scale your business. Um, it's the only way to have a viable business is to create the processes that will enable others in your company to succeed without you. And that will give you your company value and that will, you know, free up your time as well. So that you, you're not worried about 8 million things. You, you want to eventually create a better life for yourself. It's going to, the only way it's going to happen is if you create a business that can operate without you. That's perfect. That's great advice. Amen. Um, definitely is. Yeah, yeah. Amen. <laughs> um, there's a lot that goes into business. And I think, uh, there's obviously different stages of business, but you definitely need a team. You need systems, you need processes to scale it, um, to get you to that freedom that most, I think that's why most business owners start businesses is to get that financial freedom and that, that time freedom to, to focus on big picture stuff. So that's great. Um, and then our last question we have is, uh, what can our audience do for you? Um, are you looking to hire? You're looking for referrals. Um, you're looking for product feedback or something like that, or what's something that our audience can, can do for you or help you out. Um, we're always, we're always hiring. Um, right now we're looking for a controller. We're, we're going to need a marketing. We're going to hire for our marketing department soon as well. Head of marketing. Um, and I think the best way that I can be helped personally is to interact with other people. I feel that's been the number one way that we grew as a business is by networking a lot and, you know, sharing. So if anybody has, you know, any good ideas for us or just wants me to, to, to offer my advice on their things, I'm, I'm glad to interact. I think sharing has been uh, one of the most valuable ways that I've learned. I share, I learn, I teach and, and it goes, it goes both ways. How can our uh, audience get a hold of you or where, where can they, they, they find you? I'm on, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn under money, Judah Bergman. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Well, sounds good. Well, Judah, thanks so much for taking the time to jump on and chat with us today. Like I said, there's a lot of nuggets and a lot of information you can pull out from this. So thanks so much for, for connecting and uh, wish you luck and, and seeing Jewel Baby and your company grow. So thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much for hosting and uh, wish you guys a lot of luck with your podcast. Right, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to like, rate, subscribe, and visit us at productpowerup.com to join our community of entrepreneurs just like you.